0: 17, The First Collection Evening beckoned with its frail moonlight on the Isle of Winder. Three of the moons, behind thin sheets of cloud, still graced the sky, stalkers gazing from behind curtains at a secret land. Slow breezes brushed across the vacant spaces, leaving a trail of twinkling green. It was the cool, fresh air in Amory's lungs that gave him the sting of truth as he, accompanied by the Sibdulum Jar, moved swiftly atop the searcher stone over the greensward below. This truth was a bombardment of words gushing from the memories of his mother and father, words that spoke out against the decisions Amory had made. He did not wish to hear them, and he especially did not want to believe them they were like shards of glass found within the sands of age remnants that once revealed struck with severe precision he was in no condition or mood to retain these wisdoms so he forced them aside and blocked them by convincing himself of the virtue of his actions repeating to himself friends words of praise and validation his armor of pride was proving its versatility there was no time to converse while amory and friends sailed the skies Amory needed to be ready for each new order from the sibjolim, so he strictly maintained his focus, repeating commands instantaneously for their immediate effect. The celadin jar's words pierced the boy's mind like nails. He knew them almost before they were spoken. The search party they had previously encountered was nowhere in sight. Neither was the Sprith, although the boy had a wrenching feeling that he had indeed seen them. A subtle anxiety slipped past the armor and coursed through Amory at the thought of his town's opposition to him. He tucked in his lower lip, turning the anxiety into resentment. Fryn led them to a small orchard of ronigans, a supple, juicy blue fruit, on the northern side of the Isle of Winder. Lights flickered inside a cottage that resided on its outskirts. A steady stream of smoke assailed the sky from its chimney. Under the sigilum's command, Amory spoke words that directed the Searcher stone to lower them at a location not far from the cottage. This will be your first collection, Amory, Frenz said proudly. Unbidden by him, Amory's thoughts immediately sought out his mother. He pictured her awake in her chair, fretfully waiting for him to return home. Her eyes, glazed in tears, called out in silent desperation to anyone who would meet their worthy demands. Her hands, fumbling with knitting needles, struggled to find time that was already lost. Prepare the charmers, friend commanded. Amory's glimpse of his mother vanished. Another effort from the ghost of his inner self defeated. The sibjulum continued to direct. Take a small contingent from the chest and leave the rest upon the searcher stone. There cannot be any delay when their times of use arise. Put those charmers that you take beneath me on your palm. I will subdue their effect on you. Amory grabbed seven charmers from the half trend contained in the chest. An overwhelming number of emotions assaulted his sanity in the brief moment it took him to place the cards on his palm beneath the sigilum. Once placed, the soothing warmth of the celadon jar needed out the more than troubling inconsistencies of his mind. Perspiration, even from that short exposure to the card's raw power, laced Amory's face. What spirits are we going to collect? Amory asked. Perhaps I do not see what it is I am supposed to. Is there something in the orchard? There is nothing in the orchard that is of interest to us, Frin said. What we seek awaits us within the life of that cottage. But there are only townsfolk of the island there. I wouldn't be able to take their spirits. Of course you will be able to. Whose spirits did you intend to collect? Amory roughly swallowed the saliva collecting in his mouth. Following the thieving of Aclaban's spirit, he had tried to mentally evade the reality of what he, a spirit collector, was commissioned to do. Those truths, prying from beneath his armor and previously overcome, thrust forth once more, piercing the armor in Amory's heart. "'I suppose I thought I would collect the spirits of animals or creatures in the Apocryphalum,' Amory mumbled, gazing at the ground. "'Ha!' exclaimed the Sibjulum. "'Do not worry about your ability to collect more potent spirits. You already put on quite the grand display of your talents when dismissing the Festinger spirit.' This really should not be much of a challenge for you. You will be successful, I guarantee it. Friend's words again assaulted Amory's identity with terrific force. All of what he knew to be right and wrong plummeted headfirst into a dimension of immoral righteousness. The mighty foundations he was raised on were shaken destructively by no more than the sweetness of hollow words. Command the searcher stone into hiding, Friend said, then we shall approach the cottage. The boy spoke the searcher stone high into the sky. He watched it with pride as it shot up with the chest of charmers atop it until it disappeared. His adventure was alive, flexing its discourse into reality and truth. Imaginative reveries were no longer needed to abate the yearning for uncanny experiences. The authority of the extraordinary was now in his hands and in his words the attention of the boy in the sibjulum jar then homed in on the cottage in its warm glow the smell of supper permeated the air as they closed in the clang of dishware along with the joyful sounds of conversation ricocheted from its core Amory's legs trembled and his heart beat ferociously he felt sweat start to puddle between the smooth surface of the charmers and his palm if the celadin jar had asked him a question he would have been unable to respond Apprehension had clutched his tongue and kidnapped his voice. "'All you must do, Amory, is knock upon the door,' the Sibdulum whispered. "'As soon as they are shocked at the sight of you, you must begin the dispersion of the cards within them. You must be swift.' They were now before the door, looking upon its wooden frame. Every crevice and crack, every splinter and nook, cried out to Amory's piercing eyes. The minute aspects of its craftsmanship flared out at him as if in a last attempt at distraction, but the warmth emanating from the sibulum soothed his outlook towards the sinister chore. The boy's right fist clenched and began the progress towards those actions that waited behind the cottage door. It was not only the beginning of this minor event, but a grand step further into the clutches of the epic nightmare begun in the farm's lair, another release of himself to the deeds of a darkness he did not understand. On his palm, the charmers began to wriggle and dance with life. Fren allowed their emotions to slowly seep through its barrier, unnerving Amory. The subtle, apparitional movements of the cards created an itch of flesh, and the trickle of emotions swirled a whirlwind of mind. The desire to rid himself of the cards' tainting energy propelled him into action. Amory knocked on the door without allowing even a moment for an answer he knocked again louder and then he continued to knock until the door was open i am here already a middle-aged woman said in slight agitation as she appeared from behind the door now what is so amory her question turned to surprise when she saw the missing boy standing before her holding a peculiar jar you look so different Before she could say another word, the boy took one of the Charmers from beneath Frinn and drove it into her stomach without paying any heed to her identity. He knew who she was, but in that moment she was simply a shadowy object of Amory's purpose. The card vanished without a trace along with the black sparks that briefly appeared. Not a moment later, her blue and white spirit emerged, leaving the body to decay under the command of the Charmer and its potent experience of emotion friend's eyes momentarily gleamed with a bright orange shimmer as it sucked the spirit into itself amory continued into the cottage with a frightening determination the chasm of emptiness within him surged and the slight itch on his palm had grown into a maddening burn these unwieldy discomforts threw amory into movement and purpose without thought As each moment passed, he longed all the more to be rid of the charmer's horrid presences. He was so far lost beneath their driving insanity that it did not even occur to him that the sigilum had nearly ceased entirely its remedy against them. "'Who's there, Idelia?' the husband called out as he stood from the dining table and came into Amory's view. "'Oh, Amory, what are you doing here?' Amory responded by slipping a charmer from beneath Frin and recklessly inserting it into this next shadowy object's left leg, again blurring out the knowledge of his victim's identity. The man crumpled to the ground under the power of the emotion. His spirit left and Frin collected it, orange eyes flaring. Gladness and glory showered down on Amory. The sensation of relinquishing the second file card stimulated a surge of endorphins that flowed through him with emancipating force. A scream then erupted. Behind, the daughter, another shadowy blob to Amory, witnessed the peril of her father. She stood motionless within a plague of fear. As Amory turned his gaze upon her, the ecstasy he had just felt was ripped away as quickly as it had come. The burning returned to his palm and mind, and more of his ummin self crumbled away into the chasm of emptiness. Amory walked up to the disconcerted figure, took a charmer, saw its illustration of small, gruesome-looking devils that swayed and danced around the sacrifice of a female being and savagely placed it into its chest. Under the card's magic, an outlandish joy consumed the girl and her face transmogrified into an absurd smile. She began to dance and sing in a language unheard of to Amory while her spirit emerged and entered the orange-eyed sibyl. Emery then smiled as well, but for a much different reason. The explosive euphoria returned like a tempest of sensation pulling upon his flesh. A rush of blissful vibration scaled the insides of his being, leaving those areas in passionate disarray. He felt kinghoods crown upon his head and the power that follows. Principalities from beyond boiled out of the unseen into the territory of his heightened sight, shunned by the glare of his bursting superiority. The front door of the cottage slammed shut, and then, just as before, the rage of emotions within Amory crashed to a halt, leaving him to the sickness of the charmer's turmoil, worse than before, and to the expanding emptiness of his depths. The final member of the family had made a desperate escape. Amory was in no condition to allow that to happen, willing or unwilling. The very fabric of choice had torn within him, there was no decision to be made. He was no less bound to the nature of instinct than a hungry animal out for the kill. It was a necessity to seek out the refugee. He had to abate the growing emptiness burrowing inside. If only for a moment, he had to feel the glory. As he raced outside in pursuit of the final prey, Amory blew upon the whistle around his neck. The searcher stone soared to his moving position, and he leapt atop its back without pause. It was only seconds before Amory spotted the last shadowy shape running wildly between the Ronigan bushes. It was a boy, and his steps were careless as he plunged through the thick vegetation. Driven by blood-curdling fear, not even the hundreds of thorns ravaging his flesh caused him to slow down. Amory directed the searcher stone to fly straight into the boy, and so it did, knocking him harshly and completely upon one of the fruit bushes. He rolled over, screaming in pain while revealing an innocent face contaminated by blood and tears. Please, Amory! He screeched at the pinnacle of horror with a voice that should have held familiarity to Amory. I won't ever tell anyone, I promise! In a voice Amory had never heard himself, a new voice created by the lengthening reach of the sibylum within him, words with the strength of spirits flexed. I have I taken take your, your family's spirits, spirits and that is what I shall also take from you. This new voice was low and sinister, a projection caused by magic more than by tongue. The boy squirmed, but there was nowhere further for him to run. Amory hopped off the searcher stone and landed at his feet. He pulled a charmer from beneath friend again looking upon its surface to see its depiction. Upon its face, a lantern lay on its side within a field of wheat devoured by incinerating flames. The flames leapt upward, curling with hunger, licking up air in enormous gulps. The sun in the sky smiled with a menacing grin of satisfaction, as if the flames were its child and honored student. "'Please, Amory, please, I didn't tell anyone.' Before setting free the emotion within the card, Amri let it scorch his insides. He let its rage course over his already jarring lunacy, singeing him with monstrous heat. His eyes drowned in tears and his heart beat with pain. Amri then held the card out and over the shadow figure's head and released it. It fell straight down with its edges of ethereal sharpness, slicing through its victim, flaring its black sparks and vanishing. The rage turned to heightened pleasure as Amory watched the boy's spirit enter the sibilant jar. He smiled triumphantly as friends' eyes shimmered orange. Distant worlds again joined with his, bending into his sovereignty, revealing creatures and beasts he had never heard of, let alone seen. They prowled and chanted at him as they too saw and reveled in his success. He felt their words build upon him and enter him, molding his mind and will before disappearing as Amory's enhanced sight and other senses returned to normalcy. Friends' warmth then returned before Amory could feel the further tearing of the chasm of emptiness inside him. The jar poured immense praise over him, silencing the recollections of the darkness spreading within. Amory felt content. This was the end of Amory's first collection. He and the Sibulum then went back to the cottage, so that he could eat of the food there and sustain the needs of his physical body. He wanted nothing to do with it, and only sought the collection of more spirits to assuage the expanding chasm of emptiness within him, but friend convinced him otherwise. The boy ate as quickly as he could, putting aside the quandary of physicality versus ethereality. He used only one hand, which had already become abnormally natural for him. Soon after he had allowed the sibjulum jar to make a home of his left hand, he became comfortable thinking of that hand as the jar itself, a part of him. He did not dare put it down, not even for less than a moment's time. Around Amory, the young girl continued her dancing and incomprehensible, deranged singing she was so lost amongst the plague of the charmer that she did not even notice amory or anything else as she crashed into walls and furniture bruising and cutting her face and body her visage contorted in and out of a freakish smile when she spun close to amory he pushed her away the mother was nowhere to be found and the father lay where he first fell only the occasional blink of his eyes gave signs of life as his breathing shallowly transmitted air without visible motion the identities of these sufferers were now clear to him, but he ignored their place within his memories. The Pensley family, including Turber, was no more. Where are we going next? Amory asked Frin while chewing his final bite of food. Now that you are a spirit collector, there are many things that must be dealt with, the jar replied. "'Your isle does not approve of such occupations, and even now they are searching for you. "'We must dismiss those ties that would be obstacles to your ability to carry out your job. "'I have given lots of thought to this matter. "'We will begin by returning to your home so you may wish your mother goodbye.'"